We may not be able to attend large events in the same way right now, but that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy this year's Village Women's Conference. On Saturday, November 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you can watch solo from the comfort of your home or office. Or better yet, host a watch party so you and your friends can gather and listen to incredible speakers. And the best part is, registration is free. To learn more, go to thisisvillagechurch.com slash conference. We like to like suck out all of the, the icky parts of life in Christianity. And the reality is, is that God embraces and joins us yeah. in the icky parts, in the here. Oh, that is so true. And we're going to be talking specifically about keeping your marriage strong when life is hard. Uh, this is Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, when life is especially difficult, as it's been this year, it's easy to let our marriages be the first thing that start to slip. Sometimes that looks like letting our relationship with our spouse uh, to go on autopilot. And at other times, we can even start to turn against our husband or wife in the midst of all the stress. Yeah, that stress really puts pressure on the relationship. Um, I really appreciate, and I think we quoted this in our marriage, the verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that says, Two are better than one. If either falls down, one can help the other one up. Right, and I'm sure your marriage isn't perfect. But let me encourage you, when things get hard, don't back away. Instead, lean in to your relationship. As you'll hear in the story we're sharing today, if you hold tight to your faith in God, a crisis can actually make your marriage stronger than ever. Yeah, today we have a conversation uh, that we enjoyed with Elisa and Evan Morgan, uh, Elisa has been on the broadcast a number of times. This was the first time, though, that her husband, Evan, joined us. Uh, they've been married over 40 years and have two adult children and two grandchildren. And Elisa has written about their journey together in her book, The Beauty of Broken, My Story, and likely yours, too. We've got copies of that book, along with information about our free counseling services at focusonthefamily.ca. Let's go ahead and listen in now to our recorded conversation with Elisa and Evan Morgan on Focus on the Family. Elisa, welcome back to Focus, and Evan, first time. Yes. So we want your perspective today. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you can get a word in, right? (laughs) Well, no. That'll be the challenge, but it's every man's challenge. I'm so glad he's here. No, I really am so glad he's here because in telling this story, he is integral to the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I want to start here, Lisa, because there's a great scripture that both you and I speak at different venues. And this one really spiritually gets me because uh, it's there in Psalms and it says, he's close, meaning God, he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. And it, it resonates with your title of your book, The Beauty of Broken. I guess the question starting here is, why is broken as part of our experience? Mm. It's that infinite question. If God is so loving and kind, why does he want us to be broken? So hard. It- And going through it, it's almost impossible to understand how our loving God can allow pain in our lives. Getting beyond it it makes a little bit more sense. But what I've experienced is that I I have had a kind of an idealism about walking with God, that if I just knew Jesus, you know, I'd have the answer to doing life in a better way. And the reality is that when we know Jesus, we're invited into a journey 
where he lovingly pulls us towards himself. But that means that things around us and ourselves as well may break. He himself broke that he might be in an intimate relationship with us. Right. Think of that and his anguish on the cross with his father. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, I actually think about Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 5, by his wounds we're healed. And that really means black and blue marks. That's broken blood vessels. We we like to like suck out all of the the icky parts of life in Christianity. And the reality is is that God embraces and joins us in the icky parts, in the here. Yeah. And I so appreciate, I guess, what we might call the meta-narrative there. And I feel like it's a good place to start in terms of that question. But rolling back now, let's go back to that college class when you two met. And this is so funny. I love this. Because you're trying to concentrate. I'm trying to concentrate. And Evan, who you don't even know, don't is interrupting know. you. So what happened? It's so annoying. Yeah, I hadn't heard of the book Boundaries yet, I don't think. <laughs> well, it sounded like she caught your eye. So most guys oh, would say, yeah, yeah. you throw boundaries out there. There's actually point. a seminary class, and there weren't a lot of women in this place. And an Old Testament class is how we met. So I spied this cute girl sitting there, and I thought, wow, there's a chair next to her. <laughs> sure enough, she didn't want to be interrupted, though, because she was studying for Greek. Yeah. But that's not, Greek. That's, that's not a time a, to interrupt. That took a lot of concentration for me. So yeah. what happened? What was that transaction like, the first one? Well, as Lalisa writes in the book, I literally asked her about four questions, and I got one-word answers, and she wouldn't even look at me. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, okay, this is a dead end. But uh, <laughs> finally, she looked up and we just connected, and uh, that Your was eyes the met. We eyes met. There was oh, music. Me, there was doves. It was let everything. Let me translate. I went Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> Should have looked up sooner. She yeah. had eyesight problems at the time. But, <laughs> but uh, so that cute. was the beginning, and we started dating, and we were we were engaged three months later. Mm-hmm. Man, that is that is pretty quick. But that's what Greek will do for you. <laughs> <laughs> Anything but Greek, right? Yeah. I hope you meet in the Greek class. Hey, uh, you know that moment is so fun to talk to newlyweds or engaged couples because there's so much enthusiasm. And, you know, after you're married a few years, that enthusiasm can roll over. But um, how do we keep healthy enthusiasm going? Because all the science, and there's biological science that supports this, infatuation, that googly-eyed thing, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, the tingles. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of lasts a year or two with marriage, and then that can begin to fade. What needs to replace Mm -hmm. that, and what does it look like? Yeah, I think everybody's different. Every relationship and marriage is different. Uh, For us, it has been doing life together. And by that, I do not mean playing golf together. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're a golfer. I'm so sad about that. (laughs) But but what I mean is really caring about where each other is invested and joining them there. So, I mean, we talk every day, even in all the years where maybe one of us has been traveling or one of us has been focused in or out of the home, we talk every day. You know, something caught me, Evan, and I wanted your perspective. You were the CFO, I think, of a university. Yeah, Denver Seminary, right? Denver Uh Seminary. Uh So not Uh only did you meet your wife there in Greek, you became the CFO of that same university, same seminary. That's pretty funny, actually. (laughs) But And I don't mean this in a negative way. But being a CFO, it sounds like you're a numbers guy. Uh, You can be probably pretty compartmentalized, what a lot of us men suffer from. How do you step out and say, okay, I I need to talk to Elisa. I mean, you're talking to a lot of guys that are connecting with what I'm saying. They're going, that's me. Yeah. And I think when when we were going through a lot of the crisis, we were going through that part of my personality, the organized. My dad was an engineer, civil engineer. And so I kind it's of had that in the DNA. No, it's just, but I, I, that helped in terms of the organizational side. But 
the intimacy side comes often through going through these struggles that we come together. And it's a different type of intimacy than maybe people think about. But there's a sense in which we cannot survive this unless we're hand in hand and determining. And that means a lot of communication, too. And well, so, yeah, communication. I guess that's the critical point. And I think for men and what is really good for women to hear is it can be both your strength, those qualities that he possesses, that steadfastness, but then also that communicate with me, talk to me. And so many women are longing for both, Mm -hmm. but men Mm -hmm. struggle to deliver Mm -hmm. on that second intimacy level of talk with me, just don't be my rock. Right. Um, speak to my heart. And it's easy to retreat, I think, that way, too, is just say, well, you've got it covered and you're the communicator, and so I can just retreat and allow you to, yeah. to handle some of this. And I well, think and that's the same. And again, we haven't even really unfolded the story, so let's go there, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Speak to your family of origin, those mm-hmm. things that were so difficult, what you talk about in your great book, The Beauty of Broken. Mm-hmm. Give us that picture. Sure. I come from a broken family. My parents were divorced when I was five. And then later, as I grew up in a single mom family, I realized my mom was broken through alcoholism. So broken through divorce, broken through alcoholism. And for me, when I found out that Jesus loved me, I, I was I glommed onto that in such a tangible way. How I thought, old were you when that? Well, I kind of knew God growing up because my mom would drop us off at church. She was so super smart. She'd have two hours free as a single mom. Why do most of our parents, we have that story, <laughs> they didn't go, but they it. would drop. That's genius. She's my wife, that's genius. her story too. Genius. But, but anyway, I, so I grew up kind of knowing God, but then I discovered him differently as a teen. I discovered Jesus as a teen, actually in, through the ministry of Young Life. Yeah. And when I found out that Jesus was really the real deal, I thought, well, now I've got every answer I could ever want. Um, I may have come from a broken family, but I determined I was going to build a perfectly intact second family. Okay, so that was your goal. That was and then my goal. Evan, you're coming from kind of a bit of an opposite. But I you know, when I speak, I'll often ask the audience, anybody from a perfect family? I haven't <laughs> seen a hand go up. And exactly. actually one time I did oh and I said, But you gotta have an uncle and the hand went down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. But you know, you were perhaps healthier, but describe your growing up years. And it was we opposite ends potentially is that grew up in a Christian home, um, and I say that kiddingly say that I had my Christianity with my oatmeal. You know, it was just that was <laughs> part funny. of the that was part of the the family dynamic. But like most, my dad was a military guy, lieutenant colonel, engineer, as I mentioned. And so things were just kind of regimented around the house. Not a lot of times that I can recall, maybe not even one of a really close father-son kind of uh, relationship and mentoring or wisdom. And so I later developed relationships with two other men that just became very instrumental to me. But that was a different side. So we meet this and we're like, whoa, you know, in the first couple of years of marriage. Yeah. And we quickly said, you know, we ought to just get therapy and figure out how to do this and try to navigate this. Because we were this. so different, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, mm-hmm. because of the difference. So those are the clash points. Yeah, describe that uh, the first couple of years. What were some of those friction points that you encountered? Well, there are several of them. I mean, I was not a, quote, typical stay-at-home mom. Well, let's back up. We knew we couldn't have children biologically. Okay. Right, right. You know, in the book, you painted this picture so well. And it, emotionally, it, it really caught my attention where you get married and you set up the nursery thinking adoption would be quick and right there. And years, you know, three, four, 
five years go by. I'd say it's like being dilated to nine for like five years. Right. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ouch. That, and, yeah. and the dust yeah. collecting yeah, in the nursery. Yeah, it's so painful. And at least, I mean, there, there are women hearing this and they're starting to tear up because oh. they are living it or yes, they just Yes, every Mother's Day it. goes by. So and, oh. speak to that emotion and what you're going through and then the joy that, okay, something happened. Right. It's, so we are waiting for children and I'm working full time. I'm a dean of women at a Bible college. Evan is CFO of a you seminary. You high achievers. We're this high is in achievers. your 20s? We're high achievers. Um, yeah. That's part of the story, too. And so, you know, we are waiting and waiting and waiting. And truly, as I waited and waited, I, I had this idea I was going to give the child the perfect family. Evan had this idea for different reasons. And I had this sense as I was praying one night that God was saying to me, Elisa, by the time this baby, whoever it is, is going to be placed in your arms, he or she will already have experienced the greatest wound of their life. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I can make up for that. You know, it's what I'm thinking inside yeah. myself. I truly didn't understand that. But what our story is, is that around after about five years of marriage, we do become parents. First of a little baby girl who was just, you know, three weeks old. And then a little baby boy two years later who was an infant as well. And we parented joyously with Jesus all over it for many years. And then in the teen years... We watched our family fall and break. And that's what Evan's talking about, too, about the, whoa, we had to figure this out. Fall and break in ways that stunned us. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Are you thinking about packing a shoebox this year? National Collection Week is next week. Last year, Operation Christmas Child collected almost 500,000 shoeboxes in Canada, and they have an even larger need this year. Packing a Shoebox is a hands-on way for Canadians to bless children in the developing world by filling shoeboxes with toys, hygiene items, school supplies, and more. Get your shoebox packed for National Collection Week or pack it online. Learn more at OperationChristmasChild.ca. Share the wonder of God's love this Christmas. There's something special for everyone on your Christmas list at Focus on the Family Canada. You'll find new adventures and all your favorites from Adventures in Odyssey and insightful devotionals, fun-filled entertainment to bring your entire family together, and so much more. Share your faith and hope with others this Christmas season. Shop online at shop.focusonthefamily.ca. And remember, your purchase helps support Canadian families. Are you an elder or deacon in your church? Are you concerned that your pastor may be reaching a place of burnout? Focus on the Family Canada has designed a retreat for pastoral couples. Help them stay fresh and renew their excitement about their ministry in your church. Help them pause from the busyness of life so they can take time to receive from God and deepen their connection to Him. If you want to bless your pastoral couple with rest, renewal, and reconnection with God, visit carethretreats.ca. That's carethretreats.ca. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. We'll continue now with the balance of our programming. So your daughter's 16. What happened? Well, it's a really weird series of events. Um, she was this beautiful five foot seven state ranked swimmer who had just returned from a a missions trip with church to serve HIV AIDS orphans in Kenya. 
check that everything working well. Looking really good. Mom and good. Dad doing good. We're Still awesome. on the perfect track. Got it. <laughs> and I can awesome. feel it. I mean, we feel like that with our boys. Yeah. I get it. And legitimately proud. You know, I'm yeah. not trying to honor roll student. I believe mm, in your close. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Doing really good. And I had a, actually had a dream, and in the dream, really weird. I was in a home that was under construction, and I was walking through it, and. Jesus was my tour guide. He had a little hard hat on. It was bizarre. And he stopped at these two rooms that were adjacent to each other. And he goes, Elisa, this one's for your daughter. And this one's for the baby. And I went, what? And I woke up and I shook that puppy off. But I'm not kidding. A couple of nights later, the dream repeated itself. This oh home my goodness. under construction in scaffolding. Same thing. This room's for your daughter. This room's for the baby. And a few days later, I'm at Mops around a conference table, and this group of people is planning the future of what would be called teen Mops for teenagers who were becoming pregnant. And I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me, Elisa, you're going to know more about this than anybody in the room. Wow. I am like, what? And I go home and I ask my beautiful daughter, is there any way you could be pregnant? And she nods. And I went and got a pregnancy test, me, never before pregnant me. I went to the store and got one, and I stood outside the bathroom door while my daughter peed on a stick and found out, yes, she's pregnant. And Evan is traveling, and I call my dear, precious husband and tell him it's news we never, ever, ever dreamed we would hear. And I'm president of mops in the process. Well, that whole connection, I mean, that's what's difficult. It's the image. It's what will people think. Not that you... you. I don't feel like you're a person that puts too much weight on that. But Everybody it's still does, real. though. Yeah. Everybody does. You get up in front of people. And I, I never did pretend, as you're saying, Jim, that I had it all together. Right. I God called me onto a platform of vulnerability going, I don't know what the poop I'm doing either. Let's figure right. it out together. <laughs> but there is a huge shame. And for me, being sandwiched between my mom, who had so many struggles, and then myself, who was trying to be perfect, the perfect mom, and then my daughter, who suddenly fell in broke, I realized I needed to work through my expectations for her and my definition of who I was as my children would be the report card of my performance. I had some work to do on But this. before you figure that out, and I'm going to get to you in a minute, Evan, how you respond as dad, and that's really important, but your upbringing triggered, con- you know, get involved, take control, let's make this happen. Yep. I can relate to that can being you? growing up in an alcoholic home as well you become intensely responsible. Yeah. And is that what happened for you? Sure. I mean, I would vacuum our house growing up and empty all the ashtrays and, you know, get all the cat vomit out of the corners and the naughty pine planks. I did that all growing up. So when my daughter became pregnant, I went into high fix-it mode. Describe what that looked like. It's like standing in front of her body at Target when a neighbor walks by as if my five foot three, 105 pound frame can hide my daughter's budding pregnancy. Hello, Elisa. But I wanted to fix it. I wanted to hide it. I wanted to change it. We withdrew her from school. We homeschooled her. We wanted to support her. She made the decision of what she would, how she would parent or not parent this child and she made the decision at the end to relinquish Mm. but we were there to help her figure out the math and how much would she have to make to support this child how long would she have to live with us it was just dramatic but in the process and this goes back to our earlier parts in our conversation i kind of shoved evan back into the back bedroom to watch golf thinking i can do this this is my job um continuing on then specifically in your marriage let's bring that 
facet into this. Uh, your son uh, also later you adopted a son. Mm-hmm. He had some difficulty too. Yeah. But how in marriage did that impact you to have children struggling? Mm-hmm. What did that do to your relationship? And what warning do you have for us? One of the things that happened is that when our daughter gave birth, she gave birth extremely prematurely. And in that moment, Evan and I had to divide. I had to stay with her and Evan went with the new baby because there were no adoptive parents yet identified. And that that's really what has shaped us a lot is I understood more of my need for Evan. Huh. I couldn't be the fix-it for everything. Mm. I needed him. What he brought was different, but he brought it. it. There's one story that you tell, honey, about the night you couldn't sleep and how much it affected, how we both looked at the whole process of both of our children. Yeah, it was during the midst of this, I was uh, one of those times where you're just wondering, you borderline between anger at God and questioning God. And I literally was just making laps in our house between the living room and the kitchen and the dining room and literally for a couple hours. And it wasn't my best spiritual moment. I was, uh, God, where are you in the midst of this? Both kids struggling. I just kept asking, what do you want me to see here, God? And I just felt drawn to sit at our bay window and look up at the sky, look yeah. at the stars. And, you know, I'm looking up and say, yeah, yeah, majesty, great, God, you created all this. I probably should have been vaporized at this very moment <laughs> right. with my attitude. Well, it's pretty vulnerable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, God, this, yeah, I see you're majestic. And I've always been sort of loved looking at the stars. But after literally about a half an hour just staring on this um, beautiful cloudless night, here in Colorado where you can see the stars where we live, I focus on the Orion's belt, those three perfectly aligned stars in the sky. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know much about stars, but I'm guessing that those stars are millions of light years apart. Right. And if I were in a spaceship circling around one of those stars, I would have no idea that there's two other stars that are perfectly aligned with this one. And they aren't aligned at all from when you're, the closer you get. Right. And I just hear God saying to me, exactly. Hmm. He said, take a seat here in the celestial throne for a moment. And where I sit, everything lines up. And it's just been one of the most incredible spiritual moments for me to say, when we trust God, that he's sovereign, that he understands anything that looks messed up right here, perfectly aligns in his ultimate purposes and plans for us. Mm-hmm. It's but, just so now to, I go out almost every night on our deck <laughs> to pray and to oh, look for Orion's belt. It's my prayer That's time. interesting. <laughs> but it is the most difficult thing. And yeah. I, I would assume the scripture that really uh, illuminates that, not to keep the star thing going here, but you know this idea that all things work for good to mm-hmm. those who love the Lord and are called by his name. But it's hard to believe that when mm-hmm. you're in it right. because it's painful. At least I've often wondered about a book title Uh, written by a woman, because a man cannot write this book, but it's almost the curse of Eve, fear and control. Hmm. And, you know, men can have those same attributes. I get that. But I think women, particularly moms, struggle in that area because of that fear they have Mm -hmm. that their kids won't turn out the way they expect. And then you compensate by over-controlling the situation, which generally pushes that child right into the mm-hmm. danger zone because they're trying to become independent. How would you respond to that? That is, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, we men and women, you know, have certain <sighs> deficiencies because of our fallen state. 
And for a woman, often it is this kind of fear, this kind of I'm going to take charge. And not every single one of us, but a lot of us do. And I think the understanding that God loves our children more than us. I remember sitting in church when my son was far, far away, and there was a toddler sitting next to me. And I was looking at his little toes. You know how their legs go straight out (laughs) on the pew seat? And I was looking at his little toes, and I I remembered back to when my son was a toddler. Mm. And I just was looking at his feet, and I thought, oh, Jesus, I have no idea where those grown size 13 feet are today. And I sensed the Lord going, remember remember my interaction about Nathaniel? I saw him under a tree. This is in one of the Gospels. And he goes, I know where he is right now. Mm. And it was Mm. such a comfort to me. There is a reality that we're not parenting alone, even if we're single. Some of us have a marriage and a partner in parenting. Some of us who are separated from our spouse or our partner still have that other partner involved with the children, but some of us are on our own parenting. And the reality is is that God's not going to leave us alone in that process. He does know where that child is. He sees them, and we need to recognize that he does. Right, and you're ending on the right tone here, that God sees you and God knows you. Uh, For the listener, let's skip ahead a bit. How are your kids doing now? So today, both our kids are married. Um, Our daughter has two children that, you know, are hers. Um, We've lost a grandchild uh, in terms of death, and we've also lost one in terms of relinquishment. But we are whole and intact, if you will. But what I want to say is that we're still a mess. I mean, if you, like, pulled our family out of the oven and put a toothpick in us and— Still a little, little gooey in the middle. In the middle. <laughs> yeah, it's a little gooey in the middle. So, you know, life doesn't ever get wrapped up with a bow. And I've come to really value what I call broken family values, that that's really what God's heart has been about shaping in us. Mm, you must have been reading the Scripture. Because most of the families, if not every family in there is a broken family mess. Speak to the couple who's still in the trenches of a crisis with their children right now. Maybe that's why they tuned in thinking, you know, maybe focus will speak to me today. What can they do to establish that partnership with their spouse to get through these hard times? Well, I remember a friend of mine saying, and this helped nothing, saying um, just realize that 93% statistically of these kids will be okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And Okay. I, I hear seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah I They're, hear seven. That's mom. <laughs> so I think, first of all, just to say some of our well-meaning kind of advice doesn't mean a lot when you're in the throes of this level of just gut-wrenching pain. I just remember the only time I ever remember falling down on my knees, and it was in the shower, was after – We'd had to send my son to try to get some help away. And I I just didn't know if it was the right decision. And I just fell on my knees. There's really nothing that you can do at that point is except if you can come back to the sense of trust, the Orion's Belt moment, however God brings that into your life, just to say, God's got this. I see you. I know where he is. That's what I can, all I can bring to that moment. Because a lot of times the formulaic answers for someone in the midst of that, for me, was not helpful at all. It's just yeah. I'm still hurting. I'm still down on my knees sobbing. But I do know in that moment there's somebody that cares much more about this child than I do, and that's it, you, Jesus. And so that's what I have to encourage people to just come back to, fall yeah. on the knees of trust. Boy, that is so good, so good. And, again, much more that we've left on the table here. But I'd encourage you, the listener, if you're in that spot, we're here. 
and Elisa and Evan have bared their heart for you today. This is what we in the Christian community call a testimony. Mm-hmm. And this is meant as God's story in their lives to help you in yours. And if you're struggling, if you are suffering, not only in your marriage, but in your parenting, um, call us today. Let us be there for you. We have caring Christian counselors who can help. We have referrals, uh, most likely with somebody in your area who you can continue that discussion with. We have marriage intensives with Hope Restored. We have a plethora of resources that can help you. But you've got to take the first step. You've got to make that phone call and reach out to us. I do hope you'll call. Uh, our number is 800-A-FAMILY. And we do, of course, recommend you get a copy of Elisa's book, The Beauty of Broken, My Story, and likely yours too. It's the kind of book that can really help you in your healing journey. And again, our number is 800-A-FAMILY, or donate and request your book at focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.